Hi, welcome to It Doesn't Have to Be Terrible with me, Caroline Snyder, a podcast where we explore the financial stories, topics, and questions that help us better understand how we as individuals impact and are impacted by the financial world around us. topic, I'm just going to be very honest, I feel a little flustered about today's topic because I have about a million thoughts running through my mind. Um, I'm sort of in the headspace that, as I typically say to my husband, where I just need to word vomit and then I'll figure it out. Um, So I'm just giving you... (laughs) I'm warning you up top (laughs) that I have tried to be very structured and organized with what I'm sharing today and talking about today, and I'm not sure uh, how closely I'll stick with that. But I'm being honest, and that's good, right? Okay, so I specialize, for those of you who don't know this, I specialize in working with folks with fluctuating income as a financial coach. So that means you might be a business owner and your revenue fluctuates and sometimes your therefore your take home income fluctuates. It might mean you're a freelancer or you work commission based job or a portion of a commission based job. It might mean that you have a side gig. Um, it might mean that you're a gig worker. But my world and my work is all about those fluctuations in income. And over the course of the last seven years, I've worked with a fair number of folks in the film industry, all of whom have fluctuating income. Um, And I've worked with people both in front of the camera, so the talent, quote unquote, um, and folks behind the camera, crew, and also post-production. So I've really kind of seen a pretty wide range of jobs within that industry. Um, I've also worked with people who are very early on in their career and people who are very seasoned. So I think I have a pretty good kind of breadth of experience with folks. The film industry is different than a lot of other creative freelance industries um, in the way my clients have talked about it. So You know, someone who works in the film industry says that they work in the industry, and often they don't use the word film, they just say industry, uh, which is rather obnoxious. (laughs) I do know what they mean. Um, Whereas I've had also a fair number of graphic designers as clients over the years, and none of them are like, I work in the graphic design industry. They say they're a freelancer or a small business owner. Um, So just the way they think about it, right, the industry, the film industry becomes this sort of 
think of it as like an octopus that <laughs> is pulling people in and spitting people out. Um, and I think part of the reason why folks talk about it as like the industry versus I'm a graphic designer is because of that octopus experience of it is this sort of overarching blob that controls you in a way that is not true for someone who is another creative freelance field. Um, not to say that there's no overlaps. There absolutely are. There's just some specific things about the film industry that I think make it ripe for abuse. I think sometimes that word is absolutely accurate and I think sometimes that's being exaggerated, but the conditions are set for things to go awry. And we've seen that over the course of the last several months with the strikes for very good reason. And I want to really talk about a couple things today that are transferable to other industries and I think are important things for those of us with fluctuating incomes, those of us in creative fields, those of us who are wanting to move into a creative field or wanting to move to a field with um, less structure. And also, quite frankly, those of us who are working like very stable kind of traditional jobs but just are curious about like, how do these people make it work? Yeah, I think there's a real appeal of kind of like looking in on the inside, right? We all know that, that's why reality TV is a thing. So I'm just going, I'm scrolling down my notes here. I think there's a couple of things that make working in the film industry particularly, um, appealing, right? Like there's a reason why people flock to it. For one thing, this is probably obvious, but I think it's important to say, is that there are almost no jobs in the world where what you, your end product, what you create is actually seen and consumed by and um, like interested by potentially millions of people like that billions, I just got a correction from my husband, billions of people, right? If I am the most successful in terms of pure numbers podcaster out there, maybe I can hit movie numbers and maybe I can hit Netflix numbers, maybe. But that would be like me being Joe Rogan, which kind of made me barf in my mouth a little bit. Um, I, there's just not very many jobs where you get to have your, your final product out there for the world to see, right? Like if you're a grant writer, like four people are going to read your grant. If you are working in, oh, I was about, <laughs> so to actually use an example that doesn't work, I was going to be like, if you're, if you're trying to develop uh, a, a vaccine and like, oh, crap no that one that one actually like really a lot of people get it but they don't know anything about you and they probably don't think it's that cool they're just like neutral 
maybe vaccine was not, let's not go there. <laughs> that was not the right example. There just are not that many jobs where you get to do that, right? So it's cool. Like if you go and meet someone at a party and they're like, oh, I just worked on Barbie, the reactions would be like, that's awesome. So cool. Tell me about it. It looked really exciting from those like behind the scenes, super curated pictures that I got to see of set. That's real. Like that is a real draw of the industry. And for all of the clients I've had, not quite all, but the vast majority of the clients I've had in the industry, there's also a real draw of like, I like the functionality of the work itself. I like working on a team. I like being part of this like system where when things are humming and things are going, we're creating something exciting and beautiful and interesting. That's real, right? I also feel love for the functionality of my work. I love coaching folks. I love doing this podcast, right? Um, and that's real. And that's real for, I hope, most people in most jobs. I hope, I think that is a thing that we strive for as human beings. But there are very specific drawbacks to working in the film industry that I have just sort of kind of tallied up over the years. And some of these are things that are true in most freelance industries. One is the benefits issue, right? Either you don't get any benefits, so health insurance, dental insurance, life insurance, I'm just shedding. They don't stop your hair falling out. Um, uh, Retirement, so either you get none of that or it's very hard to qualify for that, right? Like you have to work a certain number of hours in a certain type of jobs in a certain amount of time in order to check that box. So that is true in other freelance industries too, right? Like my freelance graphic designers, I'm gonna keep using them as the um, counter example. They also are not getting benefits. Um, And in fact, there's no like check a difficult box to get benefits because they're not unionized. Not everyone in the film industry is unionized though. So that's one thing that's the same. No control over, no, let me back up. That's the thing that's the same is that benefits issue. And another thing that is the same sort of in other freelance industry is this requirement that you're coming with your own equipment or your own upkeep. I'm gonna talk more about that in a little bit. But if you're a graphic designer, you're expected to have your own computer, you're expected to have your own software, right? If you are a camera person in the industry, you may be expected to have equipment for for camera. That's a terrible example, <laughs> but it's true. If you're a camera assistant, you might be expected to have your kit. Okay. So if you're a camera assistant, you might be expected to have your kit. And that is not the same cost as my MacBook, right? That is the kit. It sounds pretty small because kit is a cute little word. Um, But if I'm just like tallying up equipment averages in my head, so back of the napkin math of clients that I've had over the years, 80, 100 grand is a normal amount of money to have spent on equipment. Maybe it's a little less, maybe it's 30, 40. But 
we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars depending on what you do on set or in post-production. Um, and you are expected to keep up to date with that, right? Like if there's something that breaks, you need to fix it. If there's a new technology that comes out, you need to stay up to date with that. If you're not staying up to date, you're not getting hired or you are going to be renting things to be able to become hireable. That is a pay to play that is almost impossible for the vast majority of people. Like wildly, let's actually take a pause there. There are very few jobs in the world where you are expected to spend tens of thousands of dollars in order to get the job. The, I think, counter that a lot of people would say is like, oh, what about school? In order to be a lawyer, you need to go to law school. Absolutely true. But there are systems set up so that there's support for that. I am not happy with the systems that are set up, but it is easier to get a student loan than it is to get loans for equipment in order to go into the film industry. Um, so that pay to play is really, really real and it's usually really high. There, for the graphic designers in the world, right? You need to have your equipment too, but a graphic designer has control over what their pay is, right? I can say, for this type of project, I'm gonna charge $3,000. For this type of project, I'm gonna charge $50,000. They have control over that. There are limits to the control that are based on the economic environment, but there's a wide range of control that you have within that sphere or within that range. Um, if you work in the film industry, there are market rates that are based on union minimum rules, which is a good thing. I am in no way <laughs> hating on the unions here, but that means that you're really limited in what you get paid. If the market rate for being a PA is $350 a day, that's the market rate for being a PA, and you're not gonna be able to say like, but I'm charging $650 a day. Like, cool, 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 we'll just go to somebody else. There's no ability for you to act in the like owner's, the business owner's seat and say, my work is valuable and it is valuable at this rate, right? Like as a financial coach, I get to say, my work is valuable and I'm charging this rate and that's my rate. And I've made that decision. I am not charging a rate that is out of, the range of norm, but I've made that decision. If you are a PA on Barbie, you're getting the rate that you're getting and you have no control over what that looks like. You also have no control over your schedule. So if you're asked to be somewhere at a certain time, you need to be there at a certain time. That is very similar to like a traditional job. The difference with a traditional job and the film industry is that you likely have less um, knowledge about your schedule than you do in a traditional job. You cannot call in sick. 
if you do call in sick, like your job's probably just going to be gone. Um, there's, there's a, it's not even golden handcuffs. I was about to say like there's golden handcuffs, but it's not, they're just kind of dingy handcuffs keeping you to the industry where you can't, you can't take breaks. You can't move away. You can't go on vacation. You can't plan for those things because you never know when you're going to be stuck or you never know when you're going to end up being stuck at work. Yeah. So let's talk about that day rate for a second. So some day rates look really great, right? You might have a day rate that is $1,000 and above. You might have a day rate that is $800. You might have a day rate that is $2,000. That day rate, that's where the golden handcuffs come in. But again, they're not real gold. They're painted gold, let's say, because that day rate sounds good, right? And if I do the math with clients, which I do all the time, I'm saying like, okay, so if your day rate is $500 a day, then we look at like, so how many days a month do you need to work in order to meet your revenue goals? And it might not even be that many days, right? I'd be like, oh, I need to work 20 days in a month. That is two thirds of the days of a month. That feels pretty reasonable. The problem is, is that that is, the problem is, is that that's not how the reality works. So there's two things that often happen with clients. So when they come to me, they're like, I feel like I make good money, but I'm feeling really frustrated and I can't make ends meet and I don't know why. One, they're often not taking into account the true expenses of the work. So that equipment, um, if they're talent, that includes things like personal trainers and specialty, um, like uh, personal upkeep things. It includes taking acting classes. It includes having a coach. It includes all these other things, right? Um, I mean, it's as simple as like, oh, I, I cannot skip a hair appointment. And a hair appointment, and if you're in LA, is extremely expensive. So oftentimes clients aren't taking into account those expenses in a real way. They're often forgetting to take into account things like taxes. Um, and then they are assuming that they can work a certain number of days with that day rate in mind, and that then the math is all going to take play or make then the math is all going to fall into place, right? So it's like, okay, here, my day rate feels pretty good. But if I'm taking all my expenses, then my day rate feels like less good. And then, oh, but I just need to work X number of days. Well, sometimes you're probably going to work that many number of days. Sometimes you're probably going to work more, but it's not consistent and you don't know where the next thing is coming from, right? So if we're taking that counter example of my graphic designer again, my graphic designer, I go through the exact same process, right? Let's look at the real expenses here. Oh, that was your original rate. That rate probably is not high enough because you weren't taking into the full breadth of the expenses that you need to take into account. Um, also probably not taking into the full breadth of the value you're bringing, but let's just focus on <laughs> expenses for the moment. Um, 
that graphic designer can then say, cool, I'm being underpaid, I'm gonna increase my rate. The PA cannot say, cool, I'm underpaid, I'm gonna increase my rate. They can say, cool, I need to find different work in order to make this happen, or I need to increase the number of days I'm working. Graphic designer can say, okay, I need to increase the number of days I'm working, the number of hours, the number of projects I'm doing. And they have some real levers they can pull. I'm not saying that being a freelance graphic designer is easy and that finding clients is easy, but there are things that you can do to control that um, to a certain extent versus being in the film industry. While there are things you can do, right? You can work on networking, you can reach out to folks, you can cold call, you can do all those things. There is an element of luck involved and an element of who you already know involved that is often very much out of the control of the individual person. So not taking into account the true expenses, not being able to take into account the value of your work, and then not knowing where the next job is coming or when it's coming, right? There is a level of uncertainty that I see in clients all the time where the vast majority of my freelancers are saying, I want to figure out how to price my work correctly, where it takes into my value, my real expenses, my time. I want to figure out how to make sure that I'm spending money and getting a good return on investment for my marketing. I want to make sure that I am working with the kind of clients I want versus my clients in the film industry are saying, I want to do this work. How do I make it work? And the thing that continuously has frustrated me over the years is that the folks who can make it, right, the folks who really can stick with it for the long haul, almost always have a lot of money that is not coming from their income, right? It's not coming from their work. It's not that, oh, I work enough days as a PA. Oh, I work enough days as a camera assistant. Oh, I work enough days as an editor. Oh, I work enough days as an actor that I can cover what everything I need to cover and live a lifestyle that I feel good about. It's that, oh, I do this, but I also have a trust fund or I also have money that I pull from that my parents give me or that I also have an inheritance or that I also am married to someone who has a more stable career, right? There, that's something that is not talked about. In order to work in an industry, whether it's film or something else, in order to work in a field where there is no control over how you price your work, very little control about how you get your jobs, and very little control about your time, and where there is a high pay-to-play price tag, it is almost impossible to make that work without external help. So if you are in the industry, and I'm like, why is this not working? That's why. That's why. The system is set up 
that octopus has figured out where all the arms need to go such that only certain people are going to make it, right? Like, why so white? That's why. Um, and to make sure that those working on the ground are left without control that they need in order to make change. I think there are other industries where this is similar because I have started, I started my business in LA um, or largely started my business LA in LA. I think I happen to have had a, a larger number of folks in this industry than a lot of other industries. And so I see it more. I'd be really curious to hear if other folks reach out and are like, this is exactly the same in the restaurant industry, or this is exactly the same in, uh, I don't know, the robot AI industry. I have no idea. But there's a unique nefariousness here that I do think is at least somewhat unique. And I think is something that we need to be paying more attention to. And I'm thrilled that the unions have been able to organize and put more out there, make it more clear that things are not working well. They're the canaries in the coal mine saying like, hey, 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 the gig economy, the freelance economy has some real broken pieces to it or is maybe fundamentally broken. Um, but it's still not enough. It's not, it didn't fix the problems inherent to the system. So this is turning into a downer. I'm sorry about that. Let's try to go back to the, to the name of the podcast. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be terrible. It doesn't have to be terrible. I think it is incredibly important for all things related to money for us to come into the discussions and the questions and the decisions that you're making with eyes wide open, right? With really understanding what's going on. So that process of saying, this is my rate, these are my real expenses, what does that mean? That is an incredibly enlightening and empowering exercise. So regardless of what industry you're in, going through that and being really honest about those expenses, right? Using the money diary on the, the Verity Advising website, being honest about those expenses, being honest about what the income truly looks like, and then being able to say, great, this works for me. I feel good about this. I wanna keep doing this. Or like this part doesn't work for me and I'm gonna figure out how to shift it, how to change it so that it can work for me. And I think for some people, the answer will be like, this career path doesn't work for me. I'm gonna to move to a different career path. And for some folks, it's gonna be like, this career path does work for me, but I'm going to be going all in in certain ways, or I'm going to make sure that I have certain things in place to protect me. For some folks, it'll just be the answer of, this career work path works for me, 
And the reason why it works for me is because I'm coming to the table with economic privilege that other people don't have. And I want to know and be honest that that is something that I have that means that I get to be here, right? That knowledge, that empowerment, or that knowledge can help you feel empowered and help you gain empowerment in a system that is really created to take the empowerment away. Um, I do this all the time, and quite frankly, I've done this a bunch with myself over the past six months or so. Um, my life has shifted a lot and changed over the past couple years. I have two young kids, moved across country. Um, the, the business has shifted in some parts because of the world shifting and also because I need it to shift and I want it to shift. And I know my numbers really well. And that means that I'm able to move through the decision-making processes, feeling really confident and clear that I know what I'm doing. And that is special. And I hope regardless of what industry you're in, regardless of if you're in the industry or another one, for those of you not watching, I really rolled my eyes at that. Um, my hope for you is that that information, that knowledge means that you can make decisions that feel good for you. We all deserve that. So thank you for listening. Please share with your friends, rate, review, subscribe, whatever the things I'm supposed to say. Um, I can't wait to see you and talk to you next week. As always, um, feel free to DM me, email me, and truly, as always, I'm rooting for you.